Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Today we continue our series together entitled Waymaker. I want to talk to you today about being limited by lack, being limited by little in your life. We're looking at Jesus' words where he said, I am, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. We obviously know that Jesus was saying that he's the way of salvation. He's the truth that sets us free. He is our life, not only life eternal, but abundant life. But Jesus is not only your way to salvation, to eternal life, but he's your way maker in this world. That as you're making your way through the world, you and I find ourselves in situations where there are obstacles or things that get in our way. We want to progress in a certain dimension of life, but something seems to be restricting us or holding us back or limiting us in some measure. And the Bible is very clear that Jesus came not just to give us eternal life, but to give us life here, abundant life as well. And that Greek word is the word zoe. It represents the fullness of life that we are to experience. So God's plan is to help you make your way through life and to make a way for you through life. And oftentimes in life, one of the things that limits us is lack in our life, a variety of dimensions of lack. I'm going to talk to you today from two stories in the Bible about how we are to approach these situations when we don't seem to have enough of something. We seem to be lacking something in our lives. And this represents all kinds of lack, not just financial, but lack when it comes to relationships or love or uh, encouragement or whatever it might be. This message really applies to any dimension of lack in your life. Let me take you now to John chapter 6. As I read to you a story, we'll look at one story in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament, uh, as we look at this topic together. John chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far, far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, notice the question he asked Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Let me stop there for a moment. 5,000 men uh, represents, obviously, the males in the, in the group. Uh, there would have been, obviously, women there as well, children as well. So this crowd is far more than 5,000. We're not given the number, but it certainly is significantly more than 5,000. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. Key phrase, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish when they, when they had all had enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
Of course, we all know this story. Most of us know the story. It's a story of the feeding of the 5,000. As I mentioned, it was certainly more than 5,000. It's an amazing miracle story reported by multiple accounts in the Gospels for us. Let me take you now to the Old Testament, to a story that's similar in nature in terms of its principle, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me give you a little background. 1 Kings chapter, chapter 17 introduces us to the ministry of Elijah the prophet. And Elijah the prophet is serving during the time when King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were king and queen over Israel. Ahab and Jezebel were very evil people. In fact, the name Jezebel in and of itself is representative of evil. We normally think of evil when we hear that name, Jezebel. And the reason they were so evil is because they worshipped gods, other gods other than Jehovah or Yahweh. They worshipped the gods of Baal. And so it was a time of great spiritual darkness in Israel during this season. And God raised up this prophet Elijah. And one of the first things that Elijah does is Elijah is commissioned by God to proclaim a drought in the land. It's going to stop raining at the word of the Lord. It's going to stop raining. And of course, when the rain stops, the crops all dry up and the lack of rain, drought produces famine. And so uh, they have these conditions going on, no rain and of course famine, no food to eat. And God told Elijah, I'm going to take care of you. And he led him by a brook and said, you stay by this little brook. I'm going to, I'm going to give you water from the brook and, and birds will come and feed you. They'll bring food to you. And so Elijah was sustained there for a period of time until even that brook eventually dried up. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at, go, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called him, bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Say that phrase with me, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Both of these stories give us insight into times of great lack and need and the supply of God in meeting those needs. They're about God making a way where there was no way. The 5,000 plus people who needed to be fed, there was no human way for that to happen, but God made a way where there was no way. The story of the widow who is now about to eat her last meal with her son, she had no resources available to her to sustain her during this period of time, but God made a way where there was no way in the midst of lack. And I want to talk to you today about how God makes a way in your life in the midst of lack in your life. 
in the midst of needs in your life? How does God make a way when there is no way? Four lessons for us today. The first lesson is simply this, that lack is there to remind us of our need for God. One of the realities of life is lack. You will never go through life having everything you want and everything that you need. I would imagine if you're really honest here this morning, all of us could say there's something that you would really like to have in your life right now. Something that you really, in fact, feel like you need in your life right now. It could be something emotional. It could be something spiritual. It could be something, yes, even material. But there's something in your life that you have need of. You're lacking something right now. There's the absence of something that you need or you desire in your life at this moment. And this could have perhaps be a a very legitimate need. And this was what we see in these two stories. And the story that we see here in John chapter 6 is the story of 5,000 plus people. And what did they need? They needed food. And in fact, in John chapter 6, verse 7, going back to it again, the Bible says, after Jesus asked the question, uh, how are we going to feed these? You need to feed them, Philip. Philip answered and said, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. We don't have enough, Jesus. You're asking us to feed everyone, but we don't have enough. There's not enough resources here to take care. Don't you see the largeness of this need? There's not enough. And then in the story of the widow, Elijah and the widow and her son, they needed food also. And in fact, we see in verse 12 of 1 Kings 17, once again, listen to what it says. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Very legitimate needs. Both of these stories are stories of legitimate need where God miraculously supplied. And the miraculous supply came because in both of these situations, both of them turned to God for help in the midst of their lack. And I want to tell you something today that you may not necessarily be aware of, but God uses lack in your life. God uses lack in your life. And he uses lack in your life in a number of different ways. I've given you four ways on your notes this weekend that I'll cover very quickly. He gives you lack in your life. He allows you to go through seasons of lack to remind you of your your limitations living in this world. It reminds you of the fact that this world is not all there is. You long for heaven. Because I will tell you something about heaven. There's no lack there. Okay. And so as we experience lack here on earth, whether it be lack of love or lack of peace at times, lack of emotional support or lack of certain resources in our life, spiritual, emotional, or otherwise, it reminds us of the fact that there's something beyond this life. Second of all, it gets our attention. God uses lack to get your attention. Have you ever noticed when you have a need in your life, your prayer life goes up? It's amazing that when you recognize I need something, you start talking to God. It's one of the ways that God actually gets your attention when your attention has been diverted from God. It also brings us to the end of ourselves so that we will seek Him. As long as we're always taking care of our own needs, we we think we don't need God. We find ourselves in a situation where the need is greater than what we can supply. We certainly recognize we need Him. And it shows us that He is the one who can and will provide for us, that He is our Jehovah Jireh. He wants you to know him as Jehovah Jireh in his life. So let me ask you a question this morning. And I want you to honestly think about this question in your own life. What are you lacking in your life right now? What are you lacking? What's the need of your life right now? What do you need in your life that you don't have right now? 
And I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to say because you may not initially agree with it. But I think I've made the point to you today from Scripture. It's an understanding that actually lack is a blessing. Now, I recognize that when I gave you that point, I was not going to get a lot of amens on it. I understand that, okay? But that's okay. It's the reality is lack is a blessing. You and I need to thank God for what we lack. Because when we thank God and recognize what we lack, we realize it points us to Him. It points us beyond ourselves to Him. The psalmist David said in Psalm chapter 18, verse 6, In my distress, when I was going through the hardest of times, in my lack, I called out to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David said, in the distressful times of my life, it was good for me because it turned my attention toward God. Here's the second lesson for us today. Lack actually is. When we lack things in our life, it's actually an opportunity for us to grow a very important part of our life, and that's to grow our faith in God. In both of these stories, what did lack do for the disciples, and what did lack do for the woman, the widow, and her son? It taught them to trust and believe in God. It increased their faith in God. It taught them that God was their source. And there's one thing that God wants from you, one primary thing that God wants from you. And what God wants from you more than anything else is faith. That's the number one thing that God wants from you and me. He wants us to actually, actually really, really, really believe in him. Not just say that we believe in him, but actually really, really believe in him. To have a real faith, not just a mental kind of faith or a conceptual kind of faith, but he actually wants us to develop a faith that connects us to him in the real situations of life. That whatever you're going through, that you actually have a faith that will truly carry you through whatever you may be facing. How do we know this is what God wants of us? Hebrews 11, verse 6, the Bible says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So the Bible says, if you want to please God, it's actually impossible to please God without utilizing faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is a key to your relationship with God. And here's the thing you, you and I must understand about faith. Faith is like, is like a muscle. It really is. It increases its strength by use. That's the only way you'll ever increase your faith is by using it. If you never use your faith, you'll always be weak in faith. And there's a lot of people who've been, quote, saved for a long time. They've invited Christ into their life. But when every problem comes up, they panic, they freak out, they just, uh, they, they don't know what to do, and they lose their perspective on things, and, and they don't use their faith. And so what God wants you to do is to begin to use your faith, and as you use your faith in the problems of life, and in the challenges of life, and in the lack moments of life, as you use your faith, it begins to grow. He wants you to possess a strong faith. And this strength comes through nothing else other than trials, and tests, and tribulations, and challenges, and problems, and difficulties. And these are the things that require you to actually use your faith. James chapter 1, 2 and 3, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? 
produce a perseverance. It makes you stronger on the inside. See, if you're always taking care of yourself and securing yourself and supplying for yourself and you're always completely dependent upon your own resources and your own abilities, you'll never grow your faith in God. So God sends things along in your life to shake up your world and to make sure you realize you can't do everything by yourself. You need God to help you. You need to trust in Him and have confidence in Him to supply what you cannot supply. See, growing faith was God's purpose, was Jesus' purpose in the story of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to prove this to you. The whole thing that Jesus was trying to accomplish in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 was not the feeding of the 5,000. That was not an issue for him. The issue was his disciples needed to learn more faith. Look at John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 again. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Let's stop there for a moment. I want you to put yourself in this story. There's 5,000 men plus women and children, 15, 20,000 people perhaps. We don't know how many people were there, but a bunch of people. And your boss comes to you and says, I want you to feed everybody here. Now, this is the story, okay? Jesus comes to Philip and says, Philip, we need to take care of all these. We need to feed everybody here. Now, if you're Philip, what are you feeling right now? You've got to be kidding. You're asking me to feed all these people. But we need to recognize the next statement because it continues in verse 6. He asked this only to test him. Read the rest with me. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So the feeding of the 5,000 plus was not the issue. The issue was, Philip, I want you to learn something in this story and in this situation that you're not going to learn any other way. I'm going to teach you by putting some pressure on you. How are we going to feed these people? Here's pressure on you, and this pressure is going to allow you now to exercise faith. The same was true for the widow at Zarephath. Look again at verse 13 of 1 Kings 17. I'm taking you back and forth between these two stories. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Now, let's get this story right as well. Remember where Elijah had spent the number of years by a brook, by a little stream, and birds were feeding him. Remember I told you that part of the story? Remember that part? Do you? Okay, okay. And so he spent, we don't know how long, but he's been there for a period of time. He hasn't had a shower in a really long time. Okay. He's been living outside, maybe in a tent, some kind of covering, by a brook, drinking water from, and birds have been feeding him. Okay. So the birds have been around him. And so the brook dries up and God says, I want you to go to Zarephath and a widow there, not a millionaire, but a widow is going to take care of you. So Elijah leaves the brook that is dried up and he goes into Zarephath and here's a widow over here gathering some sticks and she's going to make a fire to to make her last meal. And Elijah walks up to her. He's a stranger. She's never seen him before. He doesn't look like the nicest guy, okay? He's dirty more than likely, unkempt in some way. I'm fairly sure he would have had to have been that way. And he walks up, and the first thing he says is, give me some water. I need a glass of water. Well, of course he needed water. The brook had dried up, and there was drought in the land, so he's looking for water. And then as she's going to get the water, he says, by the way, bake me a cake. 
This is the story. I'm not making this up. And the lady says, bake you a cake. I don't have any bread. I can't bake you a cake. Actually, as I, I'm here gathering these sticks, I'm going to make a little fire. I've got a little flour, a little oil. I'm going to make the last meal for me and my family, and that's going to be it. There's no more food available. You're asking me to make you a cake? But Elijah said, here's what I want you to do. You make one for me first. What? The audacity of this guy, it seems like. Here's a widow about to die, last meal. Make, make me one first, okay? Make me a cake first. But he adds something to it because God sent him there. He said, if you'll make me this cake first and do what I'm asking, what God is asking you to do, I'm going to come back to this in a moment, this very important principle. Here's the promise. You'll have food for the rest of your days as long as this drought goes on. You're going to be well taken care of. You will be taken care of by God. What was on, on display in this person's life? What was being required, I should say, of this person, this widow, was faith. Okay. So she, in both of these stories, it's not about the supply of the need, as beautiful and wonderful as that is. It's about the increase of the growth in their faith. So growing faith is God's plan for all of us. I want you to say with me today, out loud, and I want you to say it to yourself, Growing faith is God's plan for me. Say it together. Growing my faith is God's plan for me. God wants to grow your faith. He doesn't want to just grow the faith of the pastor and the spiritual leaders of your church. He actually wants to grow your faith in your life. Not what you know about God, but how you're able to actually trust God in situations. Here's my third thing that I want to share with you today. Lack, not having everything that you need. Lack challenges us to look for and use resources that we've overlooked. There's something about lack that causes you to open up your eyes and see things you didn't see before. When you're lacking something, you start looking around. Anybody ever gotten to the last few cans of soup in your cupboard? Last few can of beans in your cupboard? If you've ever gotten there before, you've got a few cans of beans in your cupboard, a little bit of cheese in the refrigerator. You can make 10 dozen casseroles out of that, okay? You become very creative because you start thinking in different ways of how I can use these beans. I can fry them. I can stew them. I can, I can grill them. I can do all kinds of things with these beans, okay? Because you start thinking differently when there's lack. You begin to be far more creative. In fact, some people say one of the keys to creativity is not abundance. One of the keys to creativity actually is lack. Because lack is what puts you in the need of actually generating some level of creativity in your life. And so God uses lack to open up your eyes and my eyes to things that we have overlooked. Resources that are there. And there were resources present in both of these situations. There was a seed present to meet the need. There was a seed there. The seed in the feeding of the 5,000. You know what the seed was. What was that seed? The five loaves and the two fish. That's what Jesus started and worked with. The seed in the story of the widow at Zarephath was a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. There's nothing impressive about five loaves and two fish when you've got more than 5,000 people to feed, and there certainly is nothing impressive about a little flour and a little bit of oil when you've got to make it last until the drought is over with and the famine is relieved. Nothing impressive about that, but God is not looking for what is impressive. He's looking for what will be a seed to meet a need. 
because you study Scripture, and I'll give you some points here. You'll see on the screen, almost every miracle in the Bible begins with some kind of seed. It might be the seed of faith, the seed of prayer, the seed of a gift that you give. There's all kind of seeds you see in the miracles of Scripture. And seeds are small, but they grow big things. You can take a small little oak tree seed, and it looks, it's very, very small, but it can grow something massive and something amazing. And seeing seeds is important because you've got to see them before you're going to plant them. You've got to know, I've got this. Let me see what I can do with what I have. So you have to see it before you plant it, and I will tell you the reality, we're a whole lot better at seeing needs than we are at seeing seeds. Amen. If I ask you what your needs are today, most of you can say, well, I need this, and I need that, I need that, I need the other thing, I need all these things. What are your seeds? Well, I'm not quite sure what my seeds are, okay? Because we're good at seeing needs, not so good at seeing the seeds. But what I want you to see today is that God uses little things in your life to produce big things in your life. Are you hearing me today? That's why he says you've got to be faithful in the little. And if you're not faithful in the little, you'll never be faithful in the much, okay? God says, I've got to see if I can trust you with the little things so that I can then trust you with bigger things in your life. So what do you need? I asked you a few moments ago, what do you need? What is your lack? Now I'm asking you a second question. What is your seed right now? What's the seed in your life? So what do you mean what's the seed? What is it in your life right now that God could use in some way to actually facilitate a miracle in your life? It might be the investment of your time. It might be the investment of your financial resources. It might be the investment of your gifts, your serving in the life of the church or serving other people. It might be being more faithful in your current opportunities and responsibilities that you've been given by God. It might, be more, be, it might involve being more faithful and committed to certain relationships and connections you have in your life. But you've got a lot of stuff in your life right now that may, may not look like it's sufficient for the need, but God can take five loaves and two fish and feed more than 5,000 with it. He can take a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and feed a whole family with it until the drought is over with. God can take a little and turn it into a lot. But the problem is we often are overlooking, overlooking the seed in our life. So not only what is your need, but what is your seed? Fourth and final point today. Trust in God and obedience to God are necessary for turning a little into a lot. If you want to turn a little into a lot, you've got to trust God. You've got to obey God. In both of these stories, there's a key moment in both of these stories. And here's the, here's, here's the key moment in both of the stories. In both of the stories, the little had to be given before the lot was supplied. Did you hear what I just said? In both of these stories, the little had to be given before the lot was supplied. The little had to be, what was the word I just used? Given before the lot was supplied. I'm going to say it one more time. The little had to be given before the lot was supplied. Both of the stories. Go to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. As far as we know, there's one person in the whole group that has any food there that day. Nobody else came with food. They didn't expect to be there that long. But one little boy had a great mama. And she sent him to that little event with, some, with a little lunchbox, and he had five loaves and two fish in it. And somehow these burly disciples spotted him. 
and realize this boy's got something. And maybe Jesus can do, it's a little bit, but maybe Jesus can do something with us. He asks us to feed everybody. This is the only food we can find around here. So can you imagine the moment when Peter, when Philip and Andrew walked up to this boy and said, boy, let me see your lunch. Oh, you got five loaves and two. Come with me. Okay. And they bring him to Jesus. And there's an exchange of his five loaves and two fish into the hands of Jesus. He had to give it up before the need was met. From everything we see in the story, he freely gave his entire lunch to Jesus. His entire lunch. He did not try to negotiate with Jesus. He didn't say, Jesus, I got five loaves, two fish. How about I give you two? Jesus said, no, let's go four. And they met in the middle at, middle at three. They didn't negotiate, okay? There was no negotiation at all. Jesus said, I want it all, okay? I want everything that you've got. This, that's all you've got, but I want you to give it to me. Because if you'll give it to me, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to divide it. And everybody's going to have enough. But you're going to have to take a step of faith and trust me. You have to trust that when you give this to me, that I can do something with it. I would submit to you this morning, it's obviously very true. We would not even have the story, that story in the Bible if that little boy had not given his lunch. There's one hero in the story, and his name is Jesus, but there's a sub-hero in the story, and his name is the little boy. I can't wait to meet that little boy in heaven, can't you? He's got a t-shirt on that says, I'm the five loaves and two fish guy. Everybody's going to know him, okay? We'd never have that story in the Bible had he not done that. The widow at Zarephath? If she'd said, Elijah, you're crazy. I, I'm, I'm not going to bake you any cake first. What are you talking about? But instead, she goes and does this. She gives out of faith. And in giving out of faith, the miracle is released. I hope that I can teach you today something that will radically change your life. Paul said it this way in Acts chapter 20. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Okay. All through scripture we learn the value of giving. To give whatever it is that little thing is in our life that we don't feel like can do much. To give it to God. To give our whole life to God. To make God number one, not to try to negotiate with God what we are going to give to him, but say, God, it's all yours. It's not mine. I'm giving it to you. Whatever you want to do with it, it's fine. I'm giving because I know that you're able to do far more with it than, than I could ever do in my own life. And this little boy learned the lesson. He learned that not only did he have enough for himself, but the whole group was fed and there were baskets left over. Okay. Baskets left over. The widow at Zarephath learned it as well. But what I want you to see today, and if I could somehow help us to grasp this, it would change our lives, that giving is the pathway to miracles in your life. Amen. We don't give to get from God. Amen. No, you don't give to get from God. Okay, God, I'm going to give, so now you owe me something. God doesn't owe you anything. Amen. So you don't give to get from God. Amen. That's not accurate in Scripture, but you give because you love God and you love God's purposes and God says, now that you're engaging and partnering with me, I'm going to set in motion blessing in your life that will never come any other way. If you hold on to, it dissipates, but when you give, it multiplies. Amen. 
What you hold on to disintegrates and, and, and it begins to lose its capacity for your future. But what you give to God actually expands. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, these are the words of Jesus, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now Jesus said this, this is part of one of Jesus' great teachings, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many of you have a measuring cup in your house? Amen. You all do, right? Okay. And on the measuring cup, there are lines, right? Little lines on the measuring cup, ounces and half cup and cup and so forth. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. God says, if you pour an ounce in and you give me an ounce, you can expect to get an ounce in return. You jack that up to half a cup, then you can expect a half a cup in return. Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity message. I'm just telling you, Jesus said, I'm just telling you Jesus' words here. Okay? Jesus said, with the same measure you use. Did not Jesus say that? I didn't say that. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Okay? And so with the measure you use, so he's helping us to understand the more generosity that flows out of our lives the greater blessing can come to our lives. That's the principle. Are you with me? Okay. God even proved this in his own, in his own nature. God so loved the world that he gave. Okay. This is the nature of God. And so as we grow in our generosity, as we grow in our capacity and willingness to give it all to God, whatever that might be, our little bit, whatever we feel like we've got to hold on to, because the little boy could have held on to his five loaves and two fish. And the widow at Zarephath could have held on to her flour and her oil. But both of them gave it up. And when they gave it up, they did so in faith. And God said, now that I've seen your faith, here comes a miracle of supply in your life. And it all happened because they were willing to take that step. It's something the Bible refers to, and by the way, I'm going to talk for a few moments about the tithe just for a little bit, and, but please understand, I'm not just talking financially here today, and you can relax, I'm not going to take up an offering this afternoon, I promise you, okay? If you want to give, you can do that, but I want to talk to you about something the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us something called the tithe. It's the first 10% of everything that comes into your life or that you bring back and give into the work of God's kingdom for the work of God's kingdom to be accomplished. I strongly believe in the tithe. There's some that don't believe in it. That's a thing that applies to Christians. I truly believe that it does. That's my conviction. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But I believe that the tithe is the conviction that I have that the first 10% of everything that God gives me in my life belongs to him. Not mine, does it? not even mine, okay? But if I take it, I, I, I'm stealing from God, okay? I don't want to steal from God, okay? I learned this lesson when I was about five or six years old. Please excuse me if you've heard the story before. I'm going to tell it again. Some of you heard it. When I was about five or six or seven, I cannot remember the exact age, but my father decided to give me an allowance for the first time in my life. So I'm going to get an allowance. I'm excited. So he comes into my room and says, son, I'm going to give you 10 cents every week. You get an allowance, 10 cents every week. I thought I was just richer than you can imagine, okay? And so he's, but I'm going to give it to you, not in a dime. I'm going to give it to you in 10 pennies. 
And so he came in with 10 pennies and he gave me 10 pennies. And along with my first 10 pennies, he gave me a box of offering envelopes. He said, son, I want you to remember something. The first 10% of everything that you ever receive in your life belongs to God. It's not even yours. It belongs to God. So a penny, when I give you 10 cents every week, you need to take a penny out at least a penny out and put it in this offering envelope, write your name on it, take it to Sunday school that week and give it to, to God's work. I'm going to teach you the value of this in your life. And so I learned from an early age that, that for every dime, I, nine cents was mine, one cent belonged to God. Okay? Now over the years, I've learned to go far beyond that in terms of giving and not to pat myself on the back, but you can't outgive God. Okay? Just impossible to outgive God. So, the reason that I believe that God set in motion the principle of tithing is to teach us to get us started in giving. So we'll learn the value of giving, okay? And God's not interested in your money. God's not going to like, oh, I'm going to get their money. God doesn't need your money, okay? God's not interested in your money. What God's interested in is getting you a flow of giving in your life. Because the flow of giving is what brings blessing in your life. In both of these stories is what makes a way where there is no way. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. We're just about done. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Isn't that amazing? What are we learning today? We're learning. Yes, lack becomes a part of our life, and God gives us seed for the need But for that seed to operate, we have to operate in faith and obedience through giving. The more we give, if you need love in your life, the best way to get love is give love. Amen? If you need encouragement in your life, the best way to get encouraged is to to be an encourager to somebody else. If you need support in your life, the best way to get some support is to give some support to somebody else. And I could go on and on. It's just the principle, give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I will tell you something as we conclude today. Jesus knows how to make a way where there is no way when there's lack in your life. He knows how to prove himself as your Jehovah Jireh. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, thank you for your word today. We're so very appreciative of the fact that you teach us so many wonderful things in Scripture, things that you call us to learn, to practice. And I pray that something has been said today would become very real in our hearts. I pray that generosity would flow from us, God, that we would learn this principle that we can never outgive you in any realm of life. And Lord, the way maker makes a way as we cooperate with you by planting the seeds you called us to plant. Seal this word in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. 
and I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.